Good morning. It's uh, very nervous for me right now. <laughs> uh, when when we were um, eld- as as elders, when we uh, first became elders, or at least whenever whenever I did, there wasn't any mention of this. And then Mitch came along, <laughs> and he says, "Guys, you've got to be." Uh, biblically prepared to speak and uh, so we're all going okay (laughs) you know so uh, we all take turns doing this and uh, throughout this whole time I when I was told that it was my turn I had lots of suggestions and um, uh, from people here in the audience to elders Mitch, and I decided to preach anyway. So, anyway, um, I'm going to give it my best shot, leave it in the Lord's hands. Let's go to him now in prayer. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for each and every person who made it here today. I ask you, Lord, that Whatever comes out of my mouth is always glorifying and honoring to you. This is not about me. It is about your church and how it should be, how strong it should be, how it should walk. And Lord, we just ask that you just bless us to understand these words. Take them into our hearts. Go with them. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, If anybody knows anything about me... I can talk not as fast as Mitch. I can talk around 50 miles an hour. He talks about 90 miles an hour. I can have gusts up to 75 miles an hour. Mitch can do 145 miles an hour. So um, I'm not a fast speaker that way. But anyway, uh, in 1787... There was a new hymnal that was entitled Selections of Hymns from the Best Authors. And it was intended to be an appendix to Isaac Watts. And if you know who Isaac Watts is, if you ever looked into a lot of the hymnals, you'll see his name a lot. He wrote over 750 hymns. That's a lot of hymn writing. In his lifetime. And he was also known as the godfather of the English hymnody. Um, In the collection of hymns that, and this book was published by John Rippon. In the collection, there was one song that was listed as the author being Kay. Now the thing about John Rippon, he had a tendency not to put who wrote the songs in his, uh, any time that he did a hymnal or anything. And this hymnal really caught on really well. So there was one song in particular that was only attributed to someone named the letter K. And the name of the song was Exceeding Great and Precious Promises. John Rippon, who also had a tendency to change words in songs and not attribute to who sang what song or who wrote what words 
and all. John Rippon just, you know, he was one of these characters who that was what he did. He was, we figured that the K meant most likely Richard Keene, which was his music director at Carter Lane Baptist Church in London, where John Rippon was the pastor for 63 years. The song brought a lot of comfort and unity in a time of uncertainty. And there was a particular time in history during the Spanish-American War. It was only 30 years after the Civil War. And so there was still a lot of tension uh, between the North and the South. On Christmas Eve of 1898, it was sung by an entire corps of the United States Army encamped near Havana, Cuba. Lieutenant Colonel Curtis Gill, Jr. related the inspiring story to the Sunday School Times back in 1901. Gill wrote, On Christmas Eve of 1898, I sat before my tent in the balmy tropical night near Havana chatting with a fellow officer of Christmas and home. Suddenly from the camp of the 49th Iowa rang the sentinel warning. And scarcely did that cry of the sentinel die away whenever a bandsman began to sing in a very beautiful baritone voice. And as he started singing an old familiar hymn, others in the regiment started joining him. And pretty soon the whole Iowa and all the rest joined together singing this song Long, along the long ridges above the great city where Spanish tyranny once went forth to enslave the new world, a whole American army was singing this song. The northern soldiers knew this song as a hymn, as one they had learned beside their mother's knee. The southern soldier it probably meant a little bit more to him because... It was the favorite hymn of Robert E. Lee and was sung at his funeral. Protestant, Catholic, North, South were singing together Christmas Day in the morning. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? To you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled. And then Gild replied at the end of that message, Now that's an American army. Originally, great, exceeding great and precious promises was inspired by this Bible verse. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. There's seven original stanzas to this song. I'm going to actually work on just four of them, the ones that we used to sing in our old hymnal. 
Every single one of these stanzas is a biblical promise. And it reminds us of the power of God and how knowing him helps the Christian to strengthen his life and to be more like him through the granting of his precious and great promises. He has granted us these promises so that we can take part in the divine nature, so that we can escape this world when it beckons us to follow it. The very first verse sets the tone of the verses. The foundation of the Christian life is found in God's word. He doesn't need to say more. He has said it all in his word. If you want to be on a solid foundation, run to Jesus. His word should be the nature of our daily living. Over time, the song Exceeding Great and Precious Promises gave way to the title that we know it now as How Firm a Foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the people in Corinth in, the, in uh, chapter 3. He says, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. In the first verses of chapter 3, Paul was saying, you haven't grown. You're still a baby. You can't eat solid spiritual food. You need milk. Yet then in verse 11, that's when he says, and he encourages them. He says, you can't lay a foundation on your own. There is already a foundation laid, that which is Christ Jesus. You can drive through neighborhoods here in Denver, and um, my neighborhood's one of them, uh, and you can, as you're driving along, you can see cracked concrete all along the driveways, which tells you how the soil here in Denver shifts pretty, pretty severely, and especially because of the weather here. The snow runoff and, and the freezing and then the hot temperatures and, and dryness during the uh, summertime just causes the foundation or the um, driveways of houses to crack and everything. But the foundations are a lot stronger. And one of the reasons that the foundations are stronger here in Denver is because the foundations are basements. And basement walls dig deep into the ground. So basements kind of saved this day. Because of basements are deep into the ground, their foundation is stronger. That's why Paul is imploring to the Corinthian church, the Christians there, to grow up, dig deeper in your faith. Yet he also encourages, strangely enough, the strong church of Ephesians, of the Ephesians church. He encourages them the same way. In Ephesians 4, 11, he says, so Christ, <clears throat> made, so Christ himself gave the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of services so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So Paul, to the immature Corinthians and to the more murmur Ephesians, says it doesn't matter whether you're weak or strong, whether you're immature or very faithful to the word. You still have to dig deep. You still have to bear into that foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. One of the most basic concepts of Christian theology is the trust that God presents to us in his word. The foundation of his word is a deeper bedrock. From generation to generation, his word never changes, never fails, and never compromises. When you connect these two verses, John 14, 6, that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then you go to Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It establishes one strong fact that he is the way yesterday, today, and forever. He is the truth yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the life yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. A stone, a precious cornerstone. Christ told the chief priests and the Pharisees in Matthew 21, 42 through 45, he says, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone? This is what this was. Uh, this was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone. It will crush him. When the uh, chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was talking about them. You know, this is really a heartbreaking scripture when you read it. This is uh, probably one of the saddest scriptures when you read it because these well-educated chief priests and Pharisees missed it. They were blind. Unless a cornerstone is cut exact, a stable foundation cannot be made. They rejected the perfectly cut cornerstone. They rejected Jesus Christ. They became a bunch of 
self-righteous, pious gas bags. They became legalistic. Their foundation was their pride. How firm a foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord, never changing and always the same. Verse 2 says, Fear not, I am with thee. Well, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Before I go on much further, anybody who knows me probably knows that I'm, I mean, I have to read what I want to say. And the problem, and the problem for me with reading is that I have a, uh, I was told by my doctor I have what is called pattern dystrophy. So I actually have something that blocks out letters as I read. So I'm kind of trying to use, it's really hard to use my dominant eye. My, my left eye is my, uh, is my dominant eye. And what I need to do is use, make my right eye the dominant eye. And it doesn't always work. And uh, so if you hear me stumbling a lot, it's a lot of that. Plus, I never was a good reader. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of horror movies. They just don't appeal to me. I mean, almost every victim makes the worst choices. Uh, it's much like rescuing a horse from a burning barn. If you take them out, they'll run back into the barn because they think that's where they'll be safe. And uh, I thought that was, might have been a wives' tale, but I looked it up, and yes, that is true. They will run back into that barn. You would think that these kinds of things don't happen, but I witnessed it for myself. Back in the 70s, my wife and my firstborn son, we were at Montgomery Wards in Odessa, Texas. <clears throat> and a huge hailstorm hit. And I kind of went up to, that, to one end of the store to see what was going on. And the hail was as, uh, about half the size of my fist way bigger than golf balls, and very dangerous. And the wind was blowing up so much that the panes of the glass were bending like I've never seen glass bend without breaking before. It was very tempered glass, and I was really surprised how well it stood up. Then over at another part of the store, where the store enters the mall, there was a crack that started in the ceiling, and water started falling through. And when the water started falling through, it started getting thicker and thicker and heavier and heavier. And the, you couldn't imagine what it must have been like up on the roof, how much water had built up up there. At the end of the store where automotive was, all of the ceiling collapsed. About one-third of the ceiling collapsed in that store, and suddenly... People began running everywhere, scared. They were screaming. And I just thought that was just something they did in the movies. But no, they really, they were running into each other, knocking each other down. And it was scary for them. And I grabbed my wife and my son and I said, let's stand over here out of the way <clears throat> so we don't get hurt. When I think back on that story, after things calmed down, and everything, everybody kind of just, just 
were in shock. But what got me about the story is that no matter where they would have run, there was danger. If they would have ran toward the door, the hail would have beat them severely. If they would have ran to where the waterfall was, they would have been crushed by the waterfall. And if they would have ran to the other exit, that's where the collapse had happened. And there were dangling electrical, wire, dangling electrical wires everywhere. It just told me that people will have a tendency to run into trouble when they panic. The second verse of How Firm a Foundation comes from Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. <clears throat> think about what's being said there. And think about this. It's, it's, and, and I'm not trying to say this better. I'm just trying to say it different because of my experience there during that storm and what happened. It reminds me that God's saying, don't run. I am here with you. Don't lose courage. I am the great I am you. I am will hold you up, God. Nowadays, you hear people doing vitriol, threatening our lives. But God says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will give you. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And um, I don't like to worry about finances. It causes me to depend. It, does, it causes me not to depend on God when I worry about it. Is it not better that we plan as though we have nothing rather than being afraid of losing everything? In that thought, fear has no place to go when you plan for what it might do. Base your plans on the very promise, promises of God. I love this scripture here. It says, <clears throat> I have been old, and now, I mean, I'm sorry. I have been young, and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I did leave out something. It says, I have been young, now am old, but not as old as Bryce. That's what it was. I left that out. Sorry. If y'all don't know this, we have an ongoing joke. The first time I met Bryce, I told him he was the oldest 37-year-old I know. He's a good guy. God bless him. I love him. Verse 3 says, When fiery trials, 
When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And this verse comes from the passage of Isaiah 43 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. So here it says, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie. Pathway. Psalms 119 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word not only helps you to see it right in front of you at your feet, he helps you to see down the path. And then also after the fact. I know for it, for, from experience that there were things in my life that have happened and I wondered why I went through them. And then later on in life, something happened. And I had that aha moment. And suddenly the, light, the path is lighted. And I go, that's why that happened. And I don't know. I wouldn't doubt that there are people in here that can look back and see, oh, yeah. I remember that. And I didn't know about it until now. And I think there's a reason why God does that because if he shows us our pathway immediately, always, I think we will be the typical human nature. And we go, oh, I can see down the pathway now. So I'll need this. I'll need that. I'll need to prepare for this and prepare for that. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the way and all you need to do is just take the path. Not knowing what is in store for you, and you might experience grief and pain and difficulty, and it can be excruciating, but you won't be burned. He promises that. It's like refining gold. When you start melting the gold down, the dross, the impurities float to the top. And he says, We'll get rid of that dross, and you will be refined. You won't be burned. It's a promise. Paul went through that fire. We know that there was something wrong with Paul. He doesn't say what it is, <clears throat> but it was a hindrance to his life. He thought he could do better if God just took it away. Whether it was an ailment, physical pain, or whatever it was, Paul asked God to take it away, but... God had a message for Paul. And I'll kind of paraphrase Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul went on with what he says because he's trying to get a point across to the Corinthians. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly above weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 4 says, 
It doesn't say to wipe your nose, but it feels like a need to. Uh, anyway, it says, <clears throat> The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. I don't know if any of you know the story of Richard Wormbrand or his wife, Sabrina. And you can't imagine what they must have been through. Uh, they eventually uh, were responsible for the magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. But Richard was an evangelical pastor in Romania when it was a communist country. And in 1948, he was kidnapped off the streets and imprisoned. His wife was taken from home and imprisoned, and his son was orphaned. Richard was thrown into a small cell, so small, for 24 hours you had to stand very still. If you fell asleep, if you leaned, there were nails on all sides of that little prison cell. And you would be punctured by those nails. He also was then thrown into a cell with other men. But because he was an evangelist, he did what evangelists do. He began witnessing to those prisoners that were in there with him. When they caught him doing that, they put him in solitary confinement for three solid years. What was interesting about the way they held him in solitary confinement is that they, all the guards had to wear felt-covered soles on their shoes so they couldn't make any, more, any noise. They wanted it to be so quiet that it would drive these men insane. Richard Wormbrand had someone to talk to. And he prayed. And he prayed and he prayed. And his guards would catch him praying and they would take him into another room and they would strap him down where he couldn't move and then they took rods and slats and thick pieces of wood and slam them up against his feet over and over and over again to where he couldn't walk. One day he got so sick that they actually took him and put him into a death cell so that he could die along with some other prisoners who were dying. And in there, suddenly, he began to get healthier and stronger. And he started helping his fellow prisoners to get well the best that he could. And while he was in that cell, he started witnessing so that every person in those cells, in that cell, became saved. He was instrumental in many prison guards come to the Lord. An interesting part of the story is that one of the top police people who was the person who brought reports to the head of their interior department, which was basically their police, their FBI. And what he did is he would take these reports in after he was a Christian, after he got saved, he realized that his boss had to sign these reports every day and there was hundreds of them that he had to sign every day. And so he would just put his signature on everything. 
So he made up a report that said, free Richard Wormbrand. There you go. You know, he was on a pathway that everything under the sun happened to him. Hell threw everything they could at hell threw everything it could at him. But it didn't break his soul. He didn't want to retreat. He went forward. And he kept winning souls. He robbed hell from lost souls. I stand fiery trials, I wonder to myself. Can I be strong and not forsake? And to be honest with you, I can't. No, I can't. Not without Jesus. Not without him. I'm going to repeat a scripture again. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them, um, knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Jesus Christ depart from iniquity. And then I end with this. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for being there. You said, I am with you always. Thank you for teaching us what strength is all about. It's not about it's not about fear. It's about standing. It's about being there and letting you take command of our lives and not ourselves. So we pray, God, as this church, that our walk is with you daily. That our second nature is you. Not even our second nature. It should be our first nature. It should be everything should be about you. Thank you for promises that we can rely on and that we can hold to. We love you. We praise you and give you Lord, glory, dear Lord. Amen.